Hey, this is Rachel from Three Girls, One Cape, and I just want to take a moment of your time to mention that we just started our Patreon at Patreon backslash three, the number girls, one, the number cape. And even if you can just donate a dollar, um, I mean, even 50 cents, you know, it all helps. We have different tiers. Um, we have some bonus material that will be coming your way for our Patreon subscribers and we're going to be doing live shows once a month so if you're interested in that and watching us get ridiculously taken and having some interesting conversations to say the least definitely subscribe to the patreon and hopefully you guys can handle the truth now encoding transmission. Transmission encoding completed. Have you often found yourself wondering about the unsolved mysteries and weirdness that surround them all? Now, I'm not saying it's definitely aliens, but it's definitely aliens. You're listening to Three Girls, One Cape. Can you handle the truth? So speaking That's of licking each other's fur, have you guys heard about cats? <laughs> oh god, Mara, I'm cutting this out. <laughs> no, I'm not letting you expose cat scratch. They need to know about Gordon. Stop! Oh my god. Okay, they just did breaking news. Why is Gordon? Gordon is a pedophile. I don't think anyone realized this in the original series, but he's like a Scottish cat and he has a crush on a human girl and she's like eight years old. Oh, did she cut out? And we are here to bring you some urban legends, 
some haunted history and, you know, a few other spooktacular tales, if you will. Ooh, spooktacular. I love the use of your spooky language. Yeah, wait till I spoopy it out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm about to get spooked. <laughs> ah, so we well, Vanessa's gonna start us off movie. here. Mm, okay, all right. So, uh, well, to start off on our spectacular journey through Maine, I'm gonna kick off with um the whole house. Riots in Portland. Oh, you know I love me Portland, and I love me a good whorehouse. Yeah, well, the Portland whorehouse, um, there were some crazy riots that occurred in 1849, all right? And where there was, uh, this... I'm sorry, I'm laughing at you. I messed up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and I, I'm going to light it up for this one, because, um, you know, there was a mob of prostitute-hating men that rioted and tore down three brothels and killed one guy. Fuck Only yeah. one guy was killed. Yeah, fuck him. Even though I have to say, I think there was probably more than one guy actually killed because um, since they built, they burned an entire building while there were still people inside, you know, I... I'm going to say that maybe there's definitely more than one person that died. Um, yeah, and I think that after that place, they rebuilt it and it became apartments from mm, what mm. I know about the area. And um, those apartments actually, people say that they're haunted. And then I think they burned down again. <laughs> um, well, like, you know, maybe people should have been burned you shouldn't be building apartments, you know, with the old whorehouses. But, I mean, hey, whatever folks are both. I wouldn't mind dealing with some horny ghosts, I guess. I, I um, can feel that. They, they have the truth. So, um, prostitute tens in downtown Portland aroused criticism from neighbors. And, um, you know, uh, even the building owners that were all within the area wanted them tore down. Um, of course, because they're stealing all yeah. their money. The company, uh, like, you know, a bunch of uh, laboring people, trucker men, boys, pretty much anybody who were against prostitution, they assembled one evening and they tur- they ripped all the tenants out of the buildings, right, They're, and uh, and then tore them down to the ground. Damn. They were like, fuck this bullshit. Like, I'm not having it. So, they did that. Now, you know, obviously, of course, prostitutes were just going to go and work someplace else. They would be like, all right, whatever. Like, I still, I got shit to do. I mean, like, prostitutes are kind of like cockroaches. But, like, I mean, just, like, because they're resilient. Like, not because they're insects (laughs) or anything like that. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that they are resilient. resilient. (laughs) Nothing's going to stop them from making that money. Right, exactly. (coughs) So now, um, 
you know, they just moved to a different location, you know, and I love how it was uh, described, the mob, they described it as idle, roaring boys and raw Irishmen. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm so, sure that they were on their travels over from Ireland. They were really raw, you know, yeah. like their faces so, and stuff, you know. So that they went to... They went to tear down the whorehouse that was at the Crabtree's Wharf. Um, but it wouldn't fall, so they decided to burn it with people still inside. Damn, that's heavy. You know, and then they had already demolished all the other whorehouses, you know, and they kept burning down the rest of the wharf. So, um, you know, city officials then decided to... Uh, arrest a few people. They're like, you know what? This is getting out of hand. They're like, you know, you could you could tear down the other buildings with your bare hands if you wanted, but now you're burning down the wharf. It's out of control. They're like, I'm. They're like, we're making some arrests today. Yeah. Um. You know, but the prostitutes kept doing what they gotta do because they're like, I'm still gonna make my money. I'm a working woman in America. So they went to the barber shop. Okay. This barber shop's like, yeah, you guys can, you guys can hold up in here. I don't care. That's fine. Do whatever you gotta do, right? You know. Yeah. But the barber shop wants to make some money on the side. Yeah, too. like you know, he's like, yo, like do it, like you know, the barber shop is like pimping them, you know, like right. you know, it's a working business, you know, steady customer flow, right. you know, good, Makes good sense. teamwork, good teamwork, right? That, um, <laughs> but that mob, that angry mob, you know, they wanted more speedier justice oh. than waiting for somebody to go and take them down. So, but this time, they brought guns. Damn. But, yeah, they brought guns this time. But guess what? The barber had a gun, too. Oh, fuck. Oh, who's the bitch now? You know, um, yeah. but of course... Uh, so, like, yeah, so there was a gunfight, and uh, one man was killed in the gunfight, and several well, others rest, were injured. Rest in peace to that one man. Right. But that gun showdown at the barbershop was the end of the Portland Whorehouse riots. Yeah. But, but the whores always set up business again someplace else. Well, you know, I feel like this is, um, we, you know, cover a lot of things that have sadness, but, you know, this one I feel like is kind of like a happy ending because. Yeah, because those ladies are still like, you know what? Yeah. We still make it funny. Yeah, right. They might still be women of the evening, but they're still making that money. Yeah, they're making that funny. They're like, oh, fuck this bullshit. I'm going to still make some money. Hell yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Speaking of a place that was burned down and then rebuilt, uh, next on our list, we have Fort William Henry. So a little bit about uh, Fort William Henry is that it is in the town of Bristol, which is in Lincoln County. It was built in 1692. It was destroyed by 1696 uh, by the French under the leadership of Baron de Caston. The tower and the uh, grounds were replica, and they were built in 1908. The three forts have stood on essentially the same grounds after the Indian attack destroyed uh, the 
Pemaquid settlement in 1676. Fort Charles, a wooden structure, was built in 1677. However, the fort in the settlement again was attacked in 1689 and destroyed. Three years later, Fort William Henry once again was rebuilt on the same site. It had a commanding view of John's Bay and was on the entrance to the John's River, uh, which is by the Pemaquid Harbor, through praise by the sponsorship of the governor of Massachusetts at the time, Sir William Phipps. Phipsy? I'm going to call him Phipsy. Um, okay. Saying the fort was strong enough to resist all of the uh, Indians in America. And unfortunately, Mm. the fort fell to the French and the Native Americans soon after that uh, in 1696. Yet again, it was destroyed. So uh, this place is actually one of the huge like if you look on a lot of different uh websites as far as um you know if you just google this fort william henry really quickly the myth or the urban legend is that a native american was hung outside of the fort but that was actually fort william henry that's located in new york that didn't happen at the one in maine so what happened at this one um was that there was, <clears throat> after the governor of Massachusetts had this built, they like f- were fighting the French and the Indians because this was after King Philip's War, so the Native Americans were pretty much on the French side because they didn't want the British to yeah. um, have, the, have the land. So <clears throat> what ended up happening was the chief ended up meeting with uh, his two sons to like, find a truce, and the uh, general of the time that was commanding of the fort actually killed them under a truce, and so that's why when people say that Native Americans haunt Fort William Henry in Maine, if it is Native Americans, I feel like it would be, you know, one of those three Native Americans, or many of the Native Americans that possibly died um, fighting with the French against the British. So, you know, we kind of actually got to the bottom of an urban legend that, and found out that many people thought that, you know, this guy was hung, but that actually was a different fort in New York. But now we have something to talk about when we go to New York and talk about the urban legends there. Mm. Mm-hmm. And with that, I'm going to take everyone to the Wood Island Island Lighthouse. Now, have have you ladies Mm. heard of that said place? Nope. This one, I have not. Oh, well, this is, of course, located in Maine in Biddeford. It is currently an active lighthouse, and during its initial opening it's hosted over 20 different lighthouse keepers one of the most prominent being Evan M. Emerson who served from 1861 to 1865 
um, during his tenure, he saved the crew of the British brig, the Edith Anne, from drowning in a heavy storm near the lighthouse. And then there is Thomas Henry Orcutt, a former sea captain and previous keeper at Saddleback Ledge Light, and served as a lighthouse keeper for 19 years. And his dog, Sailor, became famous for renting the station's fog bell to greet pa- passing ships by taking the bell cord in his Well, mouth. that is the most main thing I've ever heard, training your dog to ring the <laughs> fog bell. Yes. <laughs> and then in the 1890s, uh, the lighthouse was host to a grisly murder-suicide. Ooh. A local squatter and part-time lobster man was living on the west end of the islands. The squatter had been involved in an earlier altercation on the mainland and was approached by a sheriff's deputy and his squatter shack on the island. The squatter murdered the sheriff's deputy. Realizing what he had done, he attempted to turn himself into the lighthouse keeper, uh, Thomas Orcutt, who in fear turned him away. The squatter returned to his shack and committed suicide. And legend hmm. has it that the ghost of the murdered deputy still haunts the lighthouse and island. Oh, very yes. interesting. And apparently, well, I never knew about. I never knew about that. That's the first time yes. I'm hearing about the Woods Island lighthouse. It's very interesting. Yeah. And apparently, some people even hear the the bell being rung. Even yes, interesting. By the dog, I'm just kidding. By, by the dead dog. The dog's day room. Do you know what kind of dog it was? I did not see what type of dog Mara, it was. We need these facts. We need these facts, Mara. Okay, I didn't realize it was so crucial to learn the dog's breed, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just disappointed. It's okay. Let's just say he was a... It's just for dog lovers, you know? What's the dog from Beverly Chihuahua? Oh, he was a Chihuahua, Rachel. Mara, did you just... Were you going to say... He was a Chihuahua. Oh, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm picturing this right now, like. <laughs> well, there's also. Let me get this over here. I'm going to bring us into our next location um, that's uh, considered one of the most haunted places in Maine in its rural section of Route uh, 2A. It's in the northern mm-hmm. part. Um, there's a portion of road there that goes through uh, Haynesville Woods. Yep. Um, Is this, a, this about the ghost bride? Yeah. Yeah. There's a deal, there's a report of paranormal activity um, with a type of a hitchhiker situation hit, uh, in distress. Um, <clears throat> there's actually even a song about it called, um, A Tombstone Every Mile. Oh, interesting. Because... I was going to say, Ghost Bride of Hayesville, How Did You Die? Um, but that was actually my original cover that I wrote. Um, it's much like oh. the Steve Irwin, Why Did You Die song that I also wrote. <laughs> um, yes, but I've... that's besides the point. <laughs> But um, it's also because the um, road is known to be extremely dangerous because it's got some like uh, ninety, like ninety degree turns. 
Yep, sounds like Maine. Yep. <laughs> sounds like Maine. It's dark yep. and there's no street lights and all of a sudden it just mm-hmm. is a dead end. <laughs> you yeah, might drive off a cliff. That um that song was actually uh it was written by a former truck driver who became a country singer and uh country singer and songwriter. His name was uh Dick Curlis. Oh, well we'll definitely have to share the song so that everybody can hear how uh, magical I'm oh, sure great. Yay. magical <laughs> are, is the correct word for that it was well it's in reference to many fatal accidents that have occurred oh. on the road still I'm sure it it's is. a magical country song I'm sorry yep. I you're still talking about the Steve Irwin <laughs> song I apologize <laughs> I'm not talking about the actual song I'm sorry oh goodness um but so this uh this tale of the ghost bride is um the ghost of a newlywed bride who was in a car accident with her husband. Um this happened I couldn't find the year, but the date was August twenty second. And um her like her the man died immediately, but she freed herself from the accident and tried to find help, but um, she couldn't really walk. When she got out of the car, she was unable to walk, and she froze to death. Oh, wow. Oh, man. I feel like this was an episode of Supernatural. Um, but the way that she is seen is that she just appears out of nowhere, and she's asking people for help. Um. And then when she gets okay. in the car, they say that the car <laughs> becomes, so like, super... <laughs> sorry. Rachel farted. <laughs> hey. <laughs> you know? <laughs> what it is. First of all, it was... It was a July yesterday, so it's probably whatever foods you participated in might be, you know, becoming some ghosts. Just for a fact, it was Mara, it and was. it was because <laughs> I had to hold the joint for her. Because if I don't hold it, then she friggin' suckles on the end like it's a fucking <laughs> titty, so it's all soggy and wet. <laughs> well, anyway, so like you know, people that have reported picking up this bride um, say that like the temperature drops in the car. Like right away, and then um, as the like as the car reaches the end of the road, she just disappears completely, as if she's never there at all. Um, oh wow! Yeah, but that's not the only one, and this one I was able to find the date on because they also say that there's another ghostly sighting on the same stretch of road. Um, Back in August 22nd, the same day as the bride's fate. Oh. Um, but this happened in 1967. Uh, two young girls were killed. Oh, no. They were struck that's, by a tractor trailer. That's such a Damn. tragedy. Yes. Very unfortunate. Um, but um, <clears throat> the same thing happens. You know, a young girl will wave down for help, you know, and try to uh, get a ride or say that their boss 
And then by the time they reach the end of the road, they just disappear from the car. Oh, that's creepy. That yeah. That's very creepy. Yeah. So um, those are the ghosts of uh, Hayesville. Ooh, creepy. Um, all right, mm-hmm. and that brings us to the circus ship. So, mm. so this is called, uh, this article is from the Histor- New England Historical Society, um, and it's the wreck of the circus ship the Royal Tar. In 1836, when the steamship Royal Tar launched the first regular service between St. John, New Brunswick, and Portland, Maine, her owners claimed she was the safest ship on the sea. She was 164 feet long with a wooden side wheel and elegant passenger quarters that, uh, rivaled the finest hotel so it's pretty much like a modern day titanic except this was taking place in around the same time as the titanic well maybe Mm -hmm. not none no like the titanic was more recent so because this is in like the 1800s so um the royal tard named after king william the fourth created a sensation in saint john's when she made her maiden voyage around the harbor to mark the occasion, her owners served a hot lunch to hundreds of onlookers as they drank rivers of sherry and oceans of champagne. On June 5, 1836, the steam bro- uh, steamer broke a speed record by sailing between Eastport, Maine, and St. John's in less than five hours. In October that year, a circus called Burgess and Dexter's Zoological Institute chartered the Royal Tar. The circus uh, included an elephant, a tiger, two camels, exotic snakes, birds, uh, waxworks exhibit, uh, gaudy show wagons, and horses to pull them. On October 21st, 1836, the Royal Tar left Peter's Wharf in Eastport heavily overloaded with a crew of 21, 70 uh, passengers, a brass band, and the full... uh, in a full uh, a full menagerie the crew removed two lifeboats to make room for the animal cages leaving only two others uh the cages made it difficult to move on deck and the passengers pretty much stayed in their quarters as we um as as the custom passengers put their valuables gold and silver coins and expensive jewelry into the ship's safe the steamboat ran with heavy weather and put into a safe harbor. After three days, the Royal Tar tried to make headway, facing heavy seas, a west wind, and a steamer put, um, uh, and then the steamer put into uh, Macacious Bay and dropped anchor. At midnight, the wind swifted, and Captain Thomas Reed decided to continue um, the voyage. Steamers were. An unusual sight along coastal Maine. An eyewitness remembers her father putting her and her brother and sisters into a small boat to wave at the Royal Tar as it passed through the Deer Island thoroughfare. They called out to the passengers on the steamer and the passengers called back. Uh, No apparently 
Um, no one apparently knew about a smoldering fire below. Just east of Fox Island, uh, Captain Reed ordered the engine stopped and the anchor dropped. The ship's engineer had told him that the water level in the boiler had fallen to a dangerously low level. The crew extinguished the fire in the furnace, and about half hour later, they discovered the steamer had caught fire under the middle of the deck. High winds fanned the flames and consumed the firefighting equipment. Uh, Sixteen able-bodied men decided to save themselves and abandon the others. They lowered the larger lifeboat and rowed towards the Isle Ahant, now part of the Acadio National Park. Mm. The terrified well, passengers... They- what? I was going to say, like, this is crazy. Go on. <laughs> the terrified passengers began... Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, it is because I was... It's like, what were they doing with all these animals at the side right. of the boat? Well, my thing is, like, <laughs> why the fuck did somebody decide that they were going to, like, have passengers on this overloaded boat already? Like, why did you just, like... It makes it's just because they were money hungry and it's disgusting. <laughs> um, but it's like they have like all these circuits. They have like a full fledged like circus. Right, exactly. Uh, this thing and like, let's see. Uh, the terrified ooh, passengers ooh. began to jump overboard amid the screams of caged animals. Several people clung to a makeshift wooden raft in the water. According to lore, the panicked elephant jumped overboard onto a raft, killing the people who clung to it. Another legend had that a man filled his pockets with gold from his luggage, jumped overboard and drowned, dragged underwater by the weight of the metal. The U.S. uh, Revenue Cutter veto came on the scene about half an hour after the fire started. The veto's commander refused to go too near to the burning royal tar. The cutter carried a quantity of gunpowder. Uh, Captain Reed managed to ferry 40 passengers to the remaining lifeboat to save and safety aboard the Vito. Uh, a fisherman named William Barter of the Isle of Arthort, uh also picked up some survivors. He took them home where his wife fed them um, hasty pudding and put uh, some of them into feather beds. Others slept on the floor. That night, the barters killed a lamb, cooked beans, and baked bread to feed the hungry survivors. A vessel took them to the uh, Thomaston, or took them to Thomaston the next day. In the end, however, thirty-two humans lives were lost including including four men nine women and ten children jesus all the animals perished except for two horses i'm gonna cry uh four hours after catching fire the royal tar sank beneath the waves this is crazy because like how i mean when i was researching this like i i was like really surprised how i've never heard this story growing up no, me either. About the circus? Oh, uh, yeah, about the, how there was, like, a fire. You know what I mean? Especially because, like... It's just, like, yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's see. So, um, Captain Reed returned to St. John only to discover his son had died on the same day the royal tar sank. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Uh, stories vary about the fate of the animals. According to some, they all perished under the waves. According to others, oh. larger animals, including the tiger, made it ashore. 
only to be killed by farmers. <laughs> well, that's, that's terrible. It is terrible. Uh, local oh, legend God. has it that the uh, Crouch Island, just south of Deer Island, harbored a population of exotic snakes for years afterwards. On November 12, mm. 1836, a schooner arrived in Portland after being passed uh, a burn steamer. It picked up travelers' trunks with $90 in it, the only thing recovered from the wreck. In the panic that followed the outbreak of the fire, the ship's uh, safe had been left behind. Several months later, a salvage ship tried to recover the safe. Um, it was the first of many attempts. Today, the gold and silver would be worth $1 million. Yo, you want to go fucking scuba diving? Bro, I was about to say, like, you know, if that guy, like, voted his pockets up with all that gold, like, you know, and then he sunk to the bottom. I mean, we we might be able to find this. We're going to Goonies this year. Yeah. I feel like we're determined enough that we could probably, we might, like... You know. So there actually is a very popular children's book called The Circus Ship, and it was written by Chris Van um, Dusen or Dowson, um, and he gave the book a happy ending, but it was literally based on this <laughs> uh, event. Hmm. Kind of. I did not know that. Yep, some Hans Christian Andersen shit there. Yeah. This ain't the Disney version. Nope. Oh, shit. No, no, no. Good thing we don't have sponsors. We definitely would have lost our Yeah, this is a word from our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you oh, know, keeping a theme with water and death, here comes the main lake monster you have never heard of. Ooh. Ooh. And this is uh, a cryptid that comes from a small lake in Washington County. This is a four square mile lake in the parts of Princeton and Alexander, in case anyone was curious about the square mileage. And it is the home of the legend of a sea monster that is apparently four feet wide and 30 to 60 feet long. The legend behind the monster stems from Native American conflicts in the area. And then according to mysteriousuniverse.org, they had this to say, the Algonquin Indians of Maine have seen a monster in Poco Moonshine Lake for centuries. Legend has it, the monster is the result of a disagreement against the Algonquin shaman and a chef of the, Mer- of the Mi'kmaq. The Mi'kmaq chief, I apologize if I'm botching this, turned into an enormous serpent which the shaman vanquished and tied to a tree next to the lake. And the Alexander Crawford Historical Society wrote about the monster, saying that the frenzy comparing non-believers of the monster to members of the Flat Earth Society. And supposedly the only real sighting of the monster was based on a trail that came out of the lake. Sewell S. Quimby uh, wrote to the Micaias Union's editor to refute the claims he heard. He said, Mr. Editor, as I was returning home Saturday night, I heard a man say with great earnestness that he had seen the man that saw the great snake and they were going to lease the ground around chain lates for a hunting ground. They were already having great chains made. 
huge traps constructed, harpoons, lances, spears, goths, and bobs in readiness. When the spring opened and we were going to capture it, if possible, the monster of the <laughs> mighty deep, now landlocked in the small freshwater ponds of the Macaya's chain lakes. And then, just a little later, another person said with the same whim that they had seen a man that saw the man, no, they had seen a man that saw the man that said he saw the great snake. Hall and Libby were on the shore of Chain Lake. They heard a noise and saw what they took to be a man in a skiff, but soon became convinced it was a serpent. And its smallest part was as large as a pork barrel, which I don't know if anyone knows what the size of a pork barrel is. I don't, so if you want to inform me about that. I, I don't he says, when last seen in the outlet, it had left the water and passed a distant point of lands covered with granite boulders. Quimby said the trail was because uh, said the trail was because of freezing and thawing of the swamp, but he was probably just jealous he didn't see a sea monster, which is totally true. Like I'd be like, oh, dang. Just mad. I know, everybody wants see to see it. a sea monster. Yeah, and this is in well, Maine. There's only one species of water snake, the northern water snake, at around four feet long. It doesn't fit the size of the sightings of the Poco Moonshine Lake monster. Yeah. But even during time period the time period of its sightings, a skeptic was already crushing dreams. Brewer businessman Manly Harley said that the sightings could simply have been otters. But they said, hey, let the people dream, Manly. Have you seen anything out of the ordinary in Maine slates or woods? Hmm? Well, wasn't there? They did find, like, a skin, right? Like, a large yeah, because, skin. Yeah, so, Yes. Well, like, that's in some of the uh, yeah. recent reports, because uh, they also call this creature Wessie. Okay. Oh. Or Poco. Now I'm seeing. And um, you know, some of some of the like first like reported sightings <clears throat> that they had like, you know, like in papers, uh, were like from the eighteen eighties where some oh, people yes. were reporting seeing an enormous snake like creature that um not only lived in the lake but also occasionally would slither ashore. Leaving a deep mud trail. I do see this on and, another um, article. And yeah. then, like, uh, another report came from several people claiming to see the creature attacking a beaver. Damn. And then, like, uh, when, like, the, when, like, you know, like, the, when, like, the animal control and, like, park rangers and everything went to go investigate, um, they are unable to find the creature itself, but they came across a 12-foot snakeskin. Damn. And, like, you know, I was thinking, like, you know, um, because of the snakeskin being found, like, uh, I was thinking about the circus. And you said something like when you were talking about the, the circus shit. Exotic, yeah. You yeah. were talking about something be... about like snakes and like something about like the snakes. Like it's like I mean like you know. I mean, real realistically, depending it. on how far it was offshore, like snakes are really good swimmers, and mm -hmm. it would be very easy for, uh, like I mean, also it depends on like 
how cold the water was and like all kinds of other variations but um, yeah. I mean it is a p- very good possibility that it was just something I noticed like while she was telling that that's why I wanted to I wanted to mention it yeah most definitely no, that's um, a good thing to bring up because I was thinking the same thing like when we were talking about this that I was like huh I wonder hmm here yeah. we are getting to the truth Right? Well, like, um, since, like, since we're on the topic, like, of, uh, you know, finding out, like, tales and everything, uh, I mean, everybody knows Paul Bundy. Paul Bunyan. Like Paul Bundy. Uh, Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan. <laughs> it's, it's not Ted Bundy. It's Paul Bunyan. <laughs> Paul Bunyan. You Paul know, Bundy, the child of your Bundy. local neighbor murderer. <laughs> um, you know, the giant lumberjack, you know. Um, yeah, which the babe, tale came from the, out of Maine. Yeah, baby walks. Mm-hmm. And that uh, it said that, you know, his giant, like, um, his boot tracks. That that's what created the lakes of Maine. Oh, very interesting. I wonder if it was his boot tracks or glacial rocks. <laughs> yeah, but that hey, like you know, it, it's just. I mean, either body. way, that's a fucking bad. You know, that's pretty badass. I gotta say. Yeah. I mean, I wish that I could make steps <laughs> and then form <laughs> lakes. Right, like. Holy shit. That's some powerful uh man. Just a little, just right a little fun yeah, that was just a little fun fact of a of a little tale. Yeah, speaking of out of Maine. fun Ooh. facts, uh we're gonna talk about the Turner Beast or more Ooh. popular known as the Mutant Canine. Um a lot of people who have watched Monster Quest will remember the Turner Beast from season one. Um, I believe it's episode six. Um, Mutant Canines, you know. So the Turner Beast is a creature that has been described as a husky looking wolf with bu- uh, bulky shoulders, big eyes, a flat snout, a short, uh, man- short mangled ears and a bushy tail. Before it was proven to be a hybrid, some researchers claimed that it could possibly be a direwolf. It was spotted in Turner, Maine, and was estimated to weigh about 120 pounds. It has been known to kill pets and livestock, mostly dogs, um, uh, most likely for uh, for territorial reasons. Later, DNA testing on the animal in the picture revealed it was a wolf-dog hybrid. Which still is, you know, something that, I mean, if you look at it, it is a very weird looking. It kind of looks like a, um, we'll post pictures, uh, or I'll, and I'll post this article um, on the Facebook. But, you know, it does kind of almost look like yeah. a, because it's like bulky, and it has like a shorter snout than a normal wolf would have. Mm. So it's definitely very um, interesting. Inter- and yeah, it's very interesting. And 
thankfully, because the beast was killed um, and some woman kept it in her freezer, uh, parts oh. of it in her freezer, yeah. Oh, she kept it in her freezer. Yeah, and then they tested the DNA and it proved to be a wolf-dog hybrid, which is, I mean, that's pretty, because, like, uh, for a long time, people didn't think that, you know, wolves and dogs were breeding, and obviously people didn't think that there were wolves in Maine people anymore. Had... Well? Now we know. Sounds like they're... That's me too, that's me too. They're definitely... Sport Maine. And it says in this piece that a drive along Maine's craggy coast is annoyingly picturesque. Pretty low towns and roads are clotted with leisure drivers when all you really want is a clear path to the cursed tomb of Colonel Buck. Perhaps the curse can be blamed for the traffic problems. People in this part of Maine can pin practically anything on the damn tomb. The tomb of the town's founder, Colonel Jonathan Buck, Features a mysterious stain, the image of a woman's stocking plaid foot, or maybe a boot. The light stain on the memorial, according to legend, came about when Colonel Buck burned a witch and her leg uh, rolled out of the bonfire. Yeah. yeah. His heirs tried to clean the foot off the stone and are said to have replaced the monument twice, but the foot keeps coming back. Damn. The curse was called down upon the colonel by the deformed son of the witch. Your tomb shall bear the mark of a witch's foot for all eternity. This is why I imagine his voice sounding like, so, I mean, it's probably not what it sounded like. Or something like that. Not the most horrifying of curses when you think about it. The legend of the mysterious tomb of Buttsport grew and mutated over the centuries, fully forming as a tourist attraction when locals started selling postcards. Out-of-staters poured into the town to see the ghostly smudge. The town, recognizing a good thing, has upgraded the cursed tomb experience in recent years. There is now a little parking area next to the cemetery, ew, and a wheelchair-friendly concrete ramp leading up to the cursed monument. You can photograph it through a rope, a rope, I cannot pronounce that right, sorry, iron fence. Probably best not to touch it anyway. Many visitors know another stain high up on the monument in the shape of a sideways heart. This may signify the buck had either a secret love of the witch or <gasps> a woman's feet. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. <clears throat> And the company, uh, company in, uh, played at the site lists some facts about Colonel Buck, <laughs> noting that he was an honorable, industrious man. Yep, he yep. likes the feet. Like Jack Black. And he has a And that he built the first boat in Buttsport. <laughs> so what really happened anyway? No one knows. But here are some points to consider. No one, with no witches were ever put on trial in Maine. Two, Colonel Buck was a justice of the peace. He didn't have the authority to try and burn anyone. Three, Colonel Buck was born in 1719, long after the last witch was killed in America, and no witches were ever burned in America. Number four, the stain appears on a monument erected in Colonel Buck's memory 75 years after he died on March 18, 1795. His grave is in another part of the cemetery, and his real tombstone is unblemished. Then again, if you are going to the trouble of inflicting an internal curse, 
you'd want it on the Big Buck Monument right up front where everyone should, would know about it. All these years later, they do. Interesting. Yes. Well, what do you think, Vanessa? Do you think it was because he had a foot fetish? fetish so they he, he just <laughs> even in his death... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's just what I agree. Like, it just sounds like a foot fetish. Yeah, blaming a witch for his foot well, fetish. Foot yeah, fetish that's says. so low. <laughs> I think that's what I'm saying. I dig it, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's kind of what I thought was going on there. But I mean, like, who knows? It could be from these mysterious creatures Ooh. that are in the main mists. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like, this is, this is a yeah. big thing out there. You know, because, like, yep. his name is pretty yep. famous for its thick, thick mess. Okay? I mean, it's yeah. inspired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's serious. And, like, uh, you know, but uh, it's like, you know, it's taken a life of its own out there. The main mess? And, um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of different tales of unknown creatures that may live within the mist, too. There's been folklore about it. And um, that they could have been the demise of some missing persons that have appeared without a trace. Um, Things like the folklore tales, they said the mist would dwarf the vision for many souls. Oh, so like kind of like sirens, on, like uh, coastline. Interesting. Mhm. Yep. And um, it's uh also a part of other main legends, like it's said to be the foggiest. Oh. Hmm. On, I, uh, I didn't know Catherine, Catherine had a hill name after her. All right. Well, well, like, see, that's something that was really interesting that I found out. Um, so, mm-hmm. like, between Cherryfield and Franklin on Route 182 was an area around Fox Pond where the road climbs a hill. And this is where this girl, Catherine, is rumored to have lost her life in an accident. And uh, she's mm-hmm. one of the most well-known ghosts in Maine. And the most seen. Um, but not a lot of those that go to see her share their tale. And I don't really know what, like, that was indicating. That was, like, a lot of so, things. Yeah. That, so, yeah. So, well, maybe it's, it like, you have to go for yourself so. so you can see. And it's just actually, like, a drunk homeless man that lives on top of the True. hill. And he just asks you for money to tell you ghost stories. <laughs> and then he just walks away after you give him the money. He's like, all right, I'll be right back. And then he just never comes back. You're like, 
I mean, it's yeah. like, you know. Well, it's funny. You talked about yeah. cherry fields. Uh, did you know what else comes from cherry field? Um, the cherry field goat man. Oh, and the story goes something like Ooh. this. Uh, back in the 1950s, a cherry field man was driving his truck through the woods outside town. He was a local and had spent most of the time hunting, fishing, and logging in the forests of Maine. Those decades of experience didn't prepare him for what he was to encounter that day. I just want to reiterate, they did not prepare him. He filled up his gas tank before he left home that day. He was very surprised when his truck came to a gradual stop on the lonely road. His gauge, his gas gauge said it was empty. He got out and checked the tank. It indeed was empty. He checked the bottom of the truck but couldn't see a leak and he didn't see any sign of uh, gas dripping on the road. He was annoyed and puzzled. But when he got out from beneath his truck, those emotions turned to surprise and maybe a little terror. Standing in the middle of the road was a man who was half human, half goat. His lower body, legs, were naked, hairy, and shaped like goats, while his torso was human-shaped and covered in a flannel shirt. Yeah, goat horns grew out of his head, and his ears were pointed like an animal's. Other than the flannel shirt, the goat man looked like a mythological satyr or the Greek god Pan. Yo, I'm telling you, <laughs> if this is Pan walking through the fucking woods, this is playing tricks, he's playing playing tricks on us like this. I can see that. I can see that. I can see him doing that to us. I just think this is a lot of free food to Percy Jackson. Wait, it gets better. The half-naked goat man smiled at the cherry field man and then slowly sauntered into the woods. That was like definitely like he like shook his ass and he was like, yeah, you like this? Huh? You like my flannel? Bruh! You want to get a couple IPAs? Bruh, come back to my house. (laughs) (laughs) The man got back into his truck and locked the door. He tried to start the car, uh, car, hoping desperately that he could drive home just on fubes. And to his surprise, the engine started. His gas gauge now read full again, and he drove home without incident and never saw the goat man again. Okay, well, I'm just going to say, you know, if it's just this one man that's heard it, I don't know if I can believe this. Let's see. Uh, So, a lot, so pretty much this is literally the, so that's the only encounter of this goat man. So, I'm going to I'm going to say, you know, <laughs> you know, I feel like Pan so probably old. isn't Why? hanging out in the woods of Maine. You know what I mean? Like wearing a flannel 
just hanging loose, like waiting for the bras to come over. You know what I mean? Oh my god! <laughs> I only like IPAs, Janta. Janta, who is Santa's um, special brother. <laughs> I think we saw every shot of my head. <laughs> yeah, you know it because he's like, Yeah, you want this. Oh I know you do. <laughs> Alright, Mara, it's your it's your moment. Bro, mama with a shine. Yeah, I'm right. Mama. Bring it home. Wait, what, what was what was my topic? Oh my god, Mara. <laughs> you only gave me three. Ab, no, Abby in the light. What are you fucking talking about? You um, you picked your own you picked your own. Oh Abby in god, the light. We're talking about Abby. I'm gonna, I'm gonna punch you in the throat. Yeah. Tell us about Abby. No no throats were punched in the making of this episode. (laughs) So while I'm looking this up, you know, let's talk about Cat Scratch, right? We all know about the warning. I'm just kidding. Throats might be punched in the making of this episode. All right. Well, there is the Abby album, which is the Beatles album, and then Abby Lighthouse. Let's see. (laughs) All right, I'm gonna fucking punch you in the throat. Sorry. All right, we're skipping over Mara. Okay. That's that's all right because I can tell you guys about razor shins. shins. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't, like, this was like a, uh, an interesting. Yeah, this was a random find. Uh, during the prohibition days in Maine, emerged an immortal humanoid with racist. Did you say that? Did you say the prohibition? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, go ahead. Um, an immortal humanoid with oh. razor sharp shins oh, and shit. a thirst for alcohol. I mean, are you sure that wasn't like a Polish person <laughs> or maybe somebody who was Irish? I mean, who knows? But it was suggested new men working in the North Woods should leave a jug of Bangor whiskey outside their door or face a brutal shin slicing. Interesting. You know, it's funny because I was going to say before when you said the prohibition, I was going to talk about how the government used to poison (laughs) whiskey during the prohibition Mm -hmm. and then you started talking about the razor shin, so I think there might be another correlation Mm -hmm. in the government poisoning things and possibly razor shins happening. Um, that's just a theory, though. That's not obviously the truth, but I mean, we are getting to the bottom, you know, on this episode, and I just want to point that out to everybody. Yeah, we're gonna solve a mystery. The five people that listen to our podcast, we appreciate you. <laughs> Thanks, mom. We love you. Just kidding. Our mom doesn't even listen to the podcast. She doesn't. 
so uh all right do you so we're good on razor shoes yeah that was razor shoes all right nice i'm gonna bring it in Uh, i'm gonna talk about the specter moose or as i like to call him old moxie old moxie in 1891, Clarence Duffy in of Oldstown uh, was hunting, uh, and he was working around Lobster Lake. Uh, he saw the animal, but it was too far away for him to take the shot. He told his story about the white moose, and a lot of people laughed at him. They're like, Haha, this guy thinks he saw a fucking white moose in the woods, guy. Can you believe that? <laughs> And then a few months later, a Bangor lumberman named John Ross, uh, who also was at Lobster Lake, saw a big white moose. Mm. And with the second sighting, more people started to believe, all right, so there might be a big moose in the woods. Uh, So that same year, a New York hunter saw the big moose near a lake I can't pronounce and fired several warning or several slugs into the animal with no effect except it just made old moxie angry so old moxie then charged the hunter who took uh, refuge in a bear cave when he remained where he remained for about an hour before the creature sauntered away and i'm sure that he sauntered away sexily too and that's <laughs> the only way he can saunter away <laughs> but it, but imagine a hunter being so scared that he goes into a fucking bear cave to escape a moose Holy you know shit. like he's uh, the tales were often discount, uh, discounted as tall tales because of the lack of the actual evidence until 1892 a new york city sportsman so it's just literally a rich guy who was like, I like to shoot things. Uh, his name was Howard Van Ness. He not only saw the big moose, but also took several shots at old Moxie. Uh, the event took place 30 miles um, outside of North Cross, where Van Ness was hunting um, on an excursion with three other New York gentlemen. Uh, when they got separated from when he got separated from the group and had stumbled upon old Mox, after he had shot Moxie above the shoulder, old Mox let out a terrifying cry and rushed the hunter. Van Ness took shelter beneath the fallen tree that had a mass of tangled fallen trees and branches on top of it. Old Moxie circled the area at a tremendous speed and once even jumped over the area where Van Ness was hiding. Hmm. After this, many hunters would come to the state of man, uh, the state of man, <laughs> the state of man, to, <laughs> to look for the great white moose. But he wasn't seen again until 1895 by a taxidermist named Bangor, uh, a taxidermist from Bangor, and his name was. Granville Gray. In hold on, eighteen ninety nine, Gilman Brown of West Newberry, Mass, uh, got close enough to count twenty two points on the antler or on one of the antlers of Old Moxie, which normal moose have eight to twelve points per side. So that's like. Like, it must be a really big moose, you know, because obviously the bigger. Um, Brown also fired five shots at the large animal, which simply glared at him and stalked majestically away. 
Um, and I believe the reason that he obviously wasn't charged was because uh, he was in like a canoe or something like going down the river. Mm. Um, in 1901, a hunter from Boston reportedly saw the animal from a distance near Chairback Mountain. Um, in 1906, George Neeland of Sherman, Maine, was riding his bicycle down the road when he saw old Moxie. At her first, he thought it was a horse. When suddenly um, he was charged by old Moxie and he fled up a tree after investigating the bicycle the moose walked back into the woods and to this day people still report sightings of old moxie wow and albino moose aren't very common i mean you know what i mean and for there to be um, multiple in this one area i mean maybe they got bruiser but a lot of people say that it's just like a Native American spirit, old Moxie. <laughs> He's there to protect the land against the white man. I meant to do albino moose, but I put an albino mouse. They're actually like, I mean, an albino what? moose is really pretty. Yeah, I know. But like. Albino moose have, like, they're very obviously, um, like, albino. Like, they have red eyes and stuff like that. And actually, there's a disease, or not a disease, they suffer, like, moose can suffer a condition from, uh, caused by an infestation of winter ticks that causes the lightening of an animal's coat. However, this condition also causes a moose to rub off most of its hair. And their bodies are described as skinny and emaciated, which does not fit the description of this giant beast. Uh, regardless of the skeptics, the locals take the beast quite seriously. Another rash of sightings occurred in 1932 and then again in 1938. In later years, most specter mooses were seen in the forests of Chesapeake region along the west branch of the uh, Penobscot. Scott River, uh, and it looks like I'm trying to see when the most recent sighting. Oh, 2002. Ooh. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. It's true, Kobe. But you know, what do you think? Do you think uh, Moxie is a old Moxie is just a urban legend, or do you think he's still out there somewhere, you living know? his best yeah, life, you know, terrifying? Been terrifying people yep, he's just like watching over the land yeah yep watching over the yep. land <laughs> being a boss <laughs> definitely tomatsu tomatsu i got one that's pretty crazy all right I'm ready. I know. I know this one. I'm really excited for you to tell me more about it because I, uh, I've heard about it before. Like when I moved to Maine, this was like one of tell the me. first yeah. urban legends that somebody ever told I'm me. I'm going to uh, <clears throat> the North Pond Permit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ah, I came across this really fascinating. And by God, this is this is pretty nuts. So it's um 
for nearly 30 years, a phantom haunted the woods of Central Maine. Unseen and unknown, he lived in secret, peeping into homes in the dead of night and surviving upon what he could steal. <clears throat> to the spooked locals, he became a legend, or maybe a myth. Um, they wondered how could he possibly be real until. Damn. So, yeah, pretty recent. Yeah. Mm hmm. Uh, the hermit set out of camp at midnight, you know, carrying his backpack and his bag of breaking tools and threaded through the forest, you know. <clears throat> Every step memorized, you know, not a blueprint left behind. It was like, you know. Was just yeah routine for him basically, um, and he went to the pine trees. Interesting. Mm hmm. Yeah, and it's uh, a few dozen cannons uh, spread along the shoreline of the north. Okay. Of Central Maine. Yeah. But he had been. Stealing from their mm -hmm. kitchen, like stealing food, or yeah. like steal, just like stealing whatever he could. Yeah, no stealing. Interesting. Stealing food. Um, you know, he had he had a key. Mm -hmm. He had stolen a key for their walk-in. He would help them search for their food, and like, uh, but they had recently installed like a military. Military grade like motion detector because like people have been trying to figure this out for years. They've been like, there's got to be somebody just like her. What are they doing? Food that keeps missing, like it's all their supplies keep going, and they have no idea what's going on. Um, and <clears throat> no alarm like sounded off, but it. Uh, the silent alarm went for Sergeant Perry Hughes, a game warden who'd become obsessed with catching the thief. And he lived only like a mile away. Um, <clears throat> and there he was. <laughs> oh, His skin was strange and pale. His glasses were like uh, thick, chunky plastic frame from extremely outdated. Mm. He had a nice Columbia jacket on, knee lands and blue jeans, and sturdy boots. And he wore those eye like those, and he had a like a full ski helmet. Interesting. So yeah, I mean, he wasn't technically like you wouldn't think he was like he homeless. Yeah, and he was like, was this really the North Pond yeah. Hermit? Like, you know, like, he thought to himself, like, you know, he's like, because the police have been trying to figure out, like, what's going on, you know. Um, 
so he called the police and delivered a trooper Diane uh, Perkins Vance, who also had been hunting. All right, all right. Um, her, uh, his backpack was full, like when she got there, they went through and he saw it for the exit, like, you know, they thought, like, you know, he was going to get away. Uh, but they got him, and then, like, you know, they, uh, she goes and talks with him, and his name is Christopher mm. Thomas. Is he Knight. still alive? <clears throat> Born on December 7th, 1965. He had no address, no vehicle not a file or tax return and did not receive email and he said he lived in the woods. Interesting. Um, he asked him when did he go out there and uh, he said When did the Chernobyl nuclear plant disaster occur? That happened in 1986. And he says that was the same year that he went out. Interesting. I think that that's very interesting that that was like the thing that made him. He was like, oh, well, you know, because this happened, now I'm going to go live in the woods. Yeah. He said he said he went out there to live in the woods. Uh, he was twenty years old at the time, and uh, not long out of high school, and that he was now forty-seven. He basically, like yeah, that's crazy. Was living out in the woods the whole entire time, like. Um, he said that uh, all of those years he slept in a tent. He never lit a fire for the fear that smoke yep. would get his pants away. He moved strictly at night, and he said he didn't know if his parents were alive or dead. He had not made one phone call or driven a car or spent any money. His mother in his life sent an email or even That's crazy. Imagine what he did when he discovered porn and how it was on the internet. <laughs> but um, he also confessed that he committed approximately uh, 30 robberies per year while in the woods. A total of more than a thousand break-ins. Uh, like in uh, um, but he never did it while people were home. Well, that's good, and I'm assuming he didn't harm anybody. He's, like in no, no. He said he stole only food and kitchenware and like propane tanks and reading material. Like, yeah. But he also had stolen clothes, 
like, you know, he killed everything except for his back. Interesting. So, so, um, imagine, like, they did, they were able to find his senior picture in the, uh, Lawrence High School yearbook from 1984. Cool, we definitely gotta post that to the Facebook, we gotta find it, post it to the Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, um, he says, for those three decades... He had not seen a doctor or taken any medicine. He mentioned that he had never once been sick. And um, he, he says he had to have contact with other people in order to get sick. Right. That's what his theory was. Um, you know, uh, the officer, uh, Officer Perkin Vance asked him when was the last time he had had contact with another human. And he said sometime in the 90s, um, he passed a hiker while walking in the woods. Hmm. And she asked if he said anything, and he's like, I just said hi. And that other than that single syllable, um, he had not spoken with another human being until this night when he got caught. That's crazy. Imagine, like, going that long without, like, well, I mean, I'm sure he probably realistically talked to himself, because I'm sure he wasn't, like, 100%. Like, I mean, living in the woods, you're definitely going to go kind of crazy. Yeah, Did you like hear it had been like you know almost like the voice besides Vanessa over the lines. No, seven years or so. Okay, I thought I heard another voice, Vanessa, while you were talking. No, no, no. I meant oh, besides I you saying. though. Oh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um. This is like a huge story. Yeah. It's like a big thing. Like, because, well, cause, like, like, there were all these. Like, this captured so many people's, like, attention, you know, like, in, like, uh, the yeah. of Northcon. For decades, they felt haunted by something. And it was hard to say what. Well, yeah, and because like, it was, like, that um, urban legend that, the, like, people would go out and people would be like, yeah, we yeah. All left, you know. Um, random things in the woods and then they were gone or like you know what I mean like yeah uh, it could have been it was probably just this guy because um, it says here in the late 80s there were strange occurrences that flashlights were missing their batteries stakes disappeared imagine imagine coming home and being like um, where is my new propane tanks were being replaced with the old ones like people like my grand my grandkids thought wow. I was losing my mind, you know, because the vacation cabin was broken. Oh, damn, room, so yeah, that's crazy. Um, um, they were also finding wood shavings near window box, scratches on door frames. People were like, was it a neighbor? Teenagers like. 
drivers just continue, like, you know, break batteries, frying pans, winter jackets, you know, mm-hmm. people are like, what's going on? And it's like, we always felt like he was watching us, and like, and said, he said, the police were called, like, multiple times, all the time, but I was unable to help. They couldn't find this guy, because this guy was just, you know, like, fucking, I mean, yeah, he was pretty much, well, yeah, he was like a ghost in society because he's living in the fucking woods, like off the yeah. ground. Um, and it's like that, like all these incidents, like, did make him like an urban legend, and they gave him a name in North Pond Hermit. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and um, <clears throat> at a homeowners meeting in 2002, <clears throat> hundreds of people present were asked who had suffered break-ins, and 75 uh, raised their hands. Um, campfire hermit stories were stopped, and one kid recalled when he was 10 years old, all his health D- Damn, that's so. a hard hit right there. That Imagine being that like that that, that young. <laughs> mid-30s. Like, mid, yeah, he's like... <laughs> it's like, you know, it was just this guy just like... That's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a crazy story. Um, like, you know what I mean? Like, obviously... Like, literally, this is, like, the shit that, like, obviously has inspired. And it's, like, three generations of urban legends. You know what I mean? Because who knows, like, what that the stories actually were that people told. Like, you know, oh, you know, like, if you go out into the, you know, North Pond, sometimes you'll feel like somebody's watching you. And it's just, like, this guy that's, yeah. like, jerking off behind a tree. Yeah, and it's like, you know, they're like, uh, you know, there's been hermit, hermit tales, like, you know, documented right. <clears throat> years, you know. Night Sweet appears to exist in, like, a category of its own because he engaged in zero communication with the outside world. He never snapped a photo, he never kept a journal, like, his camp was, like, completely disclosed to everybody. Like, That's so crazy. You know, there may have been others just like him, you know, who were doing the same thing. But he planned to live his entire life in secret. Well, I mean, he was doing it fucking right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Or did you have anything else you wanted to add about the hermit? That's that's pretty much that's it. Good. Like, there's, I'm pretty sure like there's like a whole yeah no case too. I think there's tons of stuff on this because like this is like this is crazy. I I found some like some articles about it and it was just unbelievable. Yeah. Like, this shit's Super cray, super cray. <laughs> it's just like, 
Well, speaking of somebody who's out there, uh, we're going to talk about uh, Pamola. Where are you going? I just got to put my sheets on a little. Oh, my God. Okay. You're, I was going to say, you sounded okay. like a robot. Um, so we're going to talk about Pamola. So, yeah. uh, residing on this mountain in the Appalachian, so it's the northern end of the Appalachian Trail, um, Pamola was a godlike creature mm-hmm. who was feared and respected by the Wabanaki tribes of Maine. Uh, the... Uh, he was credited with the creation of heavy snowstorms or nor'easters, nor'easters, uh, that even in prehistoric time ravaged Maine. Pamola's appearance is a hodgepodge of a Maine's mightiest creatures, the head of a moose, the legs, talons, and wings of an eagle, and the arms and torso of a man. According to the graphic novel adaptation, (laughs) Lost on a Mountain in Maine, which features quite the illustration of Pamola in one on the first page, Pamola was known to hunt and abduct trespassers and keep them prisoners for all eternity. Other sources suggest that Pamola can inflict nightmares upon trespassers especially those who sleep at a nearby lake. But not all people who interacted with Pamola were doomed to freezing and purgatory in the forest. Um, Two examples of people who experience his hospitality, one man and one woman. In the man's story, he visits the forest at the foot of a mountain only to be caught in a freak snowstorm, to appease Pamola, he burned offerings of oil and fat until the god of thunder himself came down to take the offerings. He thanked the man for his um, piety and generosity and took him on his abode inside Ma- uh, Mountain Katadin, where he lived in comfort with Pamola's family. He even married Pamela's daughter, and as a result, was not allowed to marry anyone else or he would be taken prisoner inside the mountain for good. Unfortunately, this man didn't heed the threat when he came back to his tribe and he never was seen or heard from again. Yep. And now in the women's story, she was young and didn't believe in the legend, but decided to investigate. She left her village, which was located where the city of Old Town resides, to see for herself if Pamola is real. Instead of greeting her with a a sudden Norisha, Pamola took her back to his home inside of the mountain. She lived with him there for a year before coming back to Old Town, with Pamela's son in tow. He warned her not to only to um, never remarry, but also warned her of their son's strange, frightening power. His son could point at any living thing with his right forefinger, and it would die instantly. She had to contend with this trying to raise a child 
who could use this power as well as fellow vigil uh, <laughs> villagers who wanted her to remarry. Just like the man in the first story, she uh, relented because of this. She vanished on her wedding night and was never seen again. Today, the fear that used to be around the mountain is no longer visible. Every year, people regularly climb the mountain and uh, there's a narrow peak called Pomala uh, Peak. Being a knife edge like a peak, it is not safe to climb on, yet many people take pictures of it, the sign, and the sign that accompanies it. Despite the lack of fear, Pamola still holds a place of honor in the imagination of manners. So, a little fun story for you about Pamola. I don't know if you could ever make anything sound as white as that. Um, all right. So I have a couple of other things I wanted to talk about really quickly. Um, so we had, I posted on the Facebook about, um, urban legends that people wanted to hear. And one of them was about, um, a road in South Berwick called Witch Trot Road and why it was called Witch Trot Road because people heard that they um, walked witches down it. And the legend um, actually comes because, let's see, this comes actually from a book, Haunted York County Mystery and Lore from Maine's Oldest Towns by Roxy J. Zwicker. Witch Trot Road is a long road that connects to Route 91 and meanders along a quiet space in South Berwick. There are many old homesteads along this road that uh, harden back to the road's earlier days, but the name of the road is the most curious itself. Reverend George Burroughs was once minister in Salem, Massachusetts during the time of the Salem Witch Trials. Abigail Williams accused the Reverend of practicing witchcraft and called him the black minister. The minister and those faithful to him left Salem and traveled back to well. He had hoped to be as far away from the madness in Salem as he could get. Reverend Burroughs was held in the high regard by the residents of Wells. They saw him as an Indian fighter and a hero. The reverend, uh, reverend had led a successful defense of the village garrison during a recent Indian attack. He began um, his minister work once again. However, on April 30th, 1692, an arrest, an arrest warrant was issued to bring him back to Salem to stand trial. The magistrate burst into Reverend's home in Wells and quickly took him out to be brought back to Salem. The minister was quite certain that he could prove his innocence and agreed to go peacefully. He even suggested a time-saving shortcut through the backwoods. The men took the shortcut that Reverend spoke of, but as the foreman rode, um, blah, blah, blah. the men took the shortcut the Reverend spoke of, but as the foreman rode, they walked into uh, the for down the path, which now is called Witch Trot Road in South Berwick. Nice. So that's a fun little fact. Yeah, it is fun. Um, did you? 
I have a couple. Did you have any other ones that you wanted to talk about? Um, well, um, there is a, a ghost that, um, Maiden's Camp. Yes. Yes. Um, there's a tale of her that supposedly said this woman was having her photo taken. And, you know, she was running up those big, big cats. And the wind took her. And she chased after the hat. Mm-hmm. She fell off the edge. Mm-hmm. And she died. Yeah, that, she uh, like, she's like, that is oh, a crazy story. Yeah. That's a very mean story, if I dare say so. But, um, so there's this ghost that you supposedly see up on the on this cliff edge here, and there's all these reports at the time. They say that they see a woman um, being vocal at the end of the of the of the cliff, like if she's reaching for something, and then she falls. But then this oh like, damn, zoinks. There's like no evidence that there was anybody there, so it's like. Imagine like that being like the local spot when you're not knowing, <laughs> like that's where everybody goes to smoke weed, and then you guys are all just hanging out, and all of a sudden some like ghostly apparition of a woman just walks by you and throws herself off the fucking cliff. <laughs> She's like, <"Hey>, hey! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. But, um, yeah, that was, that was one. All right, I'm going to talk about the Sabatis Well Descent. Um, According to the story, a group of teens dared a friend to be lowered into the well in Sabatis. Uh, The well, located at the back of a cemetery, was reported to be haunted by the young boy, uh, by a young boy, the... was reported to be haunted, but the young boy agreed to the challenge in order to impress the group. Sitting atop a rubber tire, the boy was lowered down into the well for many minutes before his friends could no longer see him and then realized there was no movement at the end of the rope. The boys pulled up their friend and found him uh, very changed. The boy's hair had turned stark white. His entire body shook and he was unable to form coherent sant- uh, sentences. His laughter indicated that he had been go- had gone insane, and his appearance was that of a very old man. The boy never came back from this uh, state and is said to randomly scream from the windows of the county mental institution where he now lives. Ooh. Yeah, I thought I would uh, mention that, and I have... Uh, oh, I got one out of um, University of Maine. Um, yeah. Yeah, the ghost of William Medica. Ooh. Yeah, she is... Um, it's in her auditorium, actually. Interesting. Yes, yes she was, like, she, she was a part of the legacy of the school. Um, and she supposedly haunts the halls of oh, the wow. school in 
Um, she's also known as the opera singer ghost. Ooh. So it's very that I personally wouldn't mind if I heard some opera singer like sounded yeah, like somebody's I would be able to I'd be okay reenact the Phantom of the Opera you know? with somebody. I feel like that's my dream come true right there. Well, I could see why that would kind of like creep some people out. Yeah. Um, another little uh, haunting, if you will, is the haunting of the Sequin Island Lighthouse. It's stated in the mid-1800s, the lighthouse was inhabited by a caretaker and his wife. To combat the lonely isolation of the island, the caretaker had a piano shipped to keep his wife occupied. He probably should have found out for her level of expertise before providing this gift, though. Unfortunately, she only knew one song and played it in, um, in, or pay, played it constantly. Eventually, the caretaker could take no more, went a bit insane and destroyed the piano with an axe. Next, he killed his wife and finally himself. Today, local folks claim to have heard the long uh, the lone song coming from the lighthouse mm. oh. very spooky and before we get to the final thing that we're going to talk about tonight this is uh one more haunting for all you ghoul heads out there the roby andrews dormitory hauntings it is said that the Roby Andrews Dormitory on the Gorham campus of the University of Southern Maine is haunted. Built in the 1800s, the Roby Andrews Dorm is the oldest building on the Gorham campus. Within that time, there have been numerous stories of suicide and murder, and many of which include spirits have stuck around for future generations of students. In one story, a girl hung herself in the tower after learning she was pregnant. And another, a young woman falls to her death in front of a throng of people. Was she pushed? Did she jump? Did she clear, kill herself? It is unclear. One thing is for sure. She hasn't quite found peace and is still can be seen and heard in the dorm building. Dorm residents have reported hearing noises and feeling cold areas. Some people have reported seeing a woman in the tower um, sounds fairly normal until you learn that the tower has been closed and inaccessible for many, many years. Um, so very interesting yes. on that note. Yes. And then we're going to finish it off with, can you, uh, yep. get my little paper over there? Thank you so much, Mara. So... Um, obviously, another very famous cryptid of Maine is Bigfoot. Um, and so far, there are 14 reported sightings of Bigfoot on the Beefro website, uh, which is what most people would use because it's like the most widely accepted, um, you know, Bigfoot, I wouldn't say tracking, but like Bigfoot encounters database um and the most recent one was actually in york county in south berwick maine in vaughn woods in 2017 so not too long ago also to mention um 
Maine has had quite their uh, share of UFO through the years. The first encounter that was in the um, National uh, UFO Database was from July 1st of 1946, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And there has been over uh, 780 accounts from then until present day. And the most recent one actually was um, right in Portland, Maine, and it was only a couple days ago. And it was just a large sphere that was seen and then disappeared. Hmm. But that's Maine for you. Yeah. Or Maine. You know, there was no giant lobster, which I was kind of... Uh, <laughs> sad about because you know I you feel like that's very that, you know like you know yeah, yeah. exactly but if you think that lots there are any mm-hmm. topics that we might have missed feel free to send us a message or if you have any encounter or have had ha- if you have had any encounters with any of the places we message uh, feel free to send us a message so that we can um, read your um, encounters that you've had on the air because we want to start doing more Mm fan-based encounters. Um, Also, we're thinking of starting a Patreon. So think about, or we do have a Patreon, um, Patreon backslash uh, the three, three... the number girls, one, the number cape. Oh. And you on the next episode. And if you have any suggestions, shoot us an email, three girls, one cape at gmail.com. Spelled out, obviously, because <laughs> um, I couldn't make it simple. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and MySpace, Anchor, MySpace. <laughs> Anchor, we have a fans only. Just kidding, we don't have a fans only. Joining us, and you know, we hope you could handle the truth. Yeah, stay weird till next time. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs>